If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your private health insurance plan, you can keep your plan, period. If you are among the hundreds of millions of Americans who already have health insurance through your job, or Medicare, or Medicaid, or the VA, nothing in this plan will require you or your employer to change the coverage of the doctor you have. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. This is America's Healthcare Challenge on the Mighty 1290 Coil, the Mighty1290Coil.com, and the Mighty 1290 Coil mobile app. America's Healthcare Challenge is produced and sponsored by E.D. Bellis. Now, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome, my friends, to America's Healthcare Challenge here in the sunny heartland. Happy Memorial Day. The start of the summer, hope you're out there uh, getting getting some exercise, moving around a little bit, because Active is in. And you know what else is in? The House, Alan Hager is going to be in the House here on the program, joining us to talk about some of the issues of this week. The th- things we're going to talk about in, in particular are how many people on Obamacare are really insured, and uh, an interesting article by Scott Gottlieb in Forbes this week uh, examined some of those issues as far as looking at how many people came on it, the, the estimates said that between 13 and 14 million have increased, uh, have uh, joined that increasing by 4 million uh, for the first uh, five months of 2015. Uh, but there might be some uh, questionable um, things with those statistics. Also going to talk about uh, issues with health, with hospitals, hospitals being the most expensive um, place to receive care. And you might've heard our conversation last week with the CEO of the new ACO Nebraska Health Network, uh, talking about what they're doing to uh, lower costs. And I can tell you right now it's not going to be uh, in the hospital uh, for for things other than uh, things that absolutely need to be there. They're going to be trying to find ways uh, to filter people in uh, to the system in other ways. And one interesting article that caught our attention this week uh, was uh, somebody's advice as far as hospital bills. If you think it's too much, maybe you shouldn't uh, go ahead and pay it. And so we brought in our contributor um, on all things hospital, all things IT and public policy, Alan Hager, joining us here today to talk about uh, that article. Do you think consumers, uh, Alan, should just ignore the bills that they get from hospitals? Well, I found this uh, article really interesting because from the uh, uh, the, the uh, faith-based side of me and and being responsible uh, for my debts, uh, I would say that we should pay our bills. But uh, from a perception of uh, this gentleman uh, and this article, no, you shouldn't pay your bills. Right. And wh- talk to him a little bit about why uh, the premise behind the article and, wh- and why that would be the case, just because they're going up so much, right? Right. Um, you know, some hospital bills, uh, you know, uh, Namely, in some of the different insurance debates, uh, you've heard uh, numbers from uh, 20 to 30 percent uh, increase in, in insurance costs. And so uh, this guy is saying, you know what, if, if you're going to uh, lower costs, well, one way to do it is not to pay your bill. Right, right. But you got to be watch out for them because they're pretty uh, becoming aggressive as far as shipping things out to collections and then getting lawyers involved for some of these bills now, aren't they? Well, absolutely. And the company, uh, ELAP Services, which is a small benefits consulting firm based in Chester Springs, 
is uh, telling its customers, uh, generally they are uh, customers of medium-sized employers, to just say no to bill paying. So would these be um, these would be these would be organizations that are are they self-insuring with these hospitals? Do you think, or are uh, they doing group plans? It looks like they're uh, self-insuring. Okay, so that means that that business has to pay for those claims up to a certain amount, and that's one of the reasons why um, rising healthcare costs continue to strain businesses. And unfortunately, people still aren't talking about that, are they? No, and so uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, there was a company uh, out of Dallas. It was an auto dealership. Uh, they got a bill for $600,000 for an employee's back surgery. Uh, they went to ELAP. ELAP uh, analyzed the bill. Uh, the firm estimated costs for treatment based on financial reports with Medicare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they ended up uh, negotiating uh, with the hospital, and they wrote him a check for $29,000 and never heard from him again. See that's what people don't don't realize uh, when when and, and maybe we can help people understand uh, what a PPO network is and um, kind of some of these strategies that are out there because um, if you're uh, if you're self-insured and you're not able to uh, negotiate these things you're leaving a lot of dollars on the table and working with uh, the right third-party administrator or other things to um, adjudicate certain claims is really a way to realize savings for a business, isn't it? Or absolutely, and I would even go even further and tell, as an individual, uh, depending on the hospital that you go to, you can certainly work with their financial services company or their financial services department and work out and negotiate uh, 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 a better rate. A better rate uh, for uh, whatever claim that it is you're trying to pay on. So it just doesn't work with. just small business or medium-sized businesses. You can do it as an individual, too. Right. You just need to be savvy and know um, what things cost. And I think that's one of the good things that the administration did do is publish all of this uh, payment data for Medicare. And so if there is a way for people to really understand what Medicare pays for a certain procedure, maybe they could go and try and argue to pay what me- the Medicare rate as opposed to um, something that's probably three or four times higher than that sometimes. Yes, I would certainly agree with that. So what else has been on uh, on your radar this week as you uh, assess the healthcare industry? Well, uh, this week, uh, yes, two days ago, uh, in the Washington Times, they reported that uh, 150,000 penalty payers signed up for Obamacare during the extra time because uh, between March 15th and April 30th because Obamacare's filing deadline was February 15th, didn't match up with the tax deadline, so there's two months of in-between there for them to discover a penalty. And uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the American citizens had uh, time to get Obamacare or get on the Affordable Care Act uh, if they so wanted to avoid the penalty. Mm-hmm. That was one of the qualified waivers, I thought, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. And just so you know, uh, 2014's penalty was $95 or 1% of income. Coming this year, it will be $325 or 2% of your household income for lacking insurance. So if you don't have insurance, make sure you get it because it's going to be almost certainly 2% of your household income. Right, right. Let's uh, speaking of household income, while the penalty might be bad, also the cost of health care. I don't know if you saw the story uh, this week that showed that uh, on average of a family of four's health care costs is now exceeding 
uh, upwards of $25,000 a year. Well, yes, it is. And and I would so I can already tell you from my family's perspective, uh, just uh, in the first five months, we've already met our deductible of $6,000. Right. And so now we're at the 80-20, and we have another three to meet uh, the 100%. And so, um, yeah, I'm absolutely seeing the same increase that everyone else is seeing. Right, right. We're talking with Alan Hager. Uh, AHC contributor extraordinaire. We're talking about uh, some of the uh, insurance issues that came out in the news this week, as well as um, some other things. We've talked in the past about the Medicaid expansion issue, and we've got some positive feedback from our conversation, um, not necessarily from people here in Nebraska, but people uh, nationally that kind of understand the issue. And um, our segment about uh, rural health and um, Medicaid expansion uh, potentially hurting rural hospitals got a lot of attention. Uh, care to uh, elaborate any more on that, Alan? Well, I, I would just continue to, to pound home the point that uh, this is hurting states that did not take the Medicaid expansion uh, dollars that was offered to them of 100%. Uh, and while I understand that they... Uh, have qualms about the federal government already not meeting their Medicaid dollars uh, in a state uh, like Nebraska, who didn't take the Medicaid expansion dollars, and again, this legislative session didn't pass it. Uh, they need to be looking at how this is affecting their rural hospitals. And, you know, the Kaiser Family Foundation, again, put out a report that said there are at least a minimum of 300 to 386 different rural hospitals that could be impacted by this and either could uh, shrink services or outright close. Wow, that, that's got to be scary for a lot of people from rural America because, again, obviously the hospital, one of the uh, the, the main economic factors in, in a small and mid-sized town. I mean, a lot of people work there. Everybody goes there. I can't imagine what would happen to some of these towns if the hospitals closed. Well, no, and, that, and you're absolutely right in that aspect. Uh, hospitals are part of a small town. Uh, America, uh, a town like Seward, about 6,400 people here in Nebraska, has a small hospital. And, and uh, if that hospital were in any economic uh, trouble and it were to close, and I'm not saying that it is, um, but it could be the death nail of small town America as we know it. Right, right. So we're talking uh, about these things. Um, we'll talk next segment a little bit more about um IT and, and some of the things that it's doing to solve uh, their problem. But um, I was curious if you saw, this would have been in the Wall Street Journal, I guess it would have been last month, but public versus private health insurance on controlling spending. And it showed uh, the growth of, of spending between Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. And it looks like private insurance is up by almost 40 or 50 percent. Uh, did you see that statistic? Yes, I did. And, and I would say that uh, as some presidential candidates have said uh, government is partially responsible for the uh, increase in private insurance costs. Because of subsidies? Uh, that, that would be one of the areas uh, of concern. I think uh, because the shrinking, uh, your shrink, the, the, the amount of money that a doctor or a hospital receives from Medicare, Medicaid is shrinking drastically. And so uh, these hospitals and 
uh, other uh, healthcare entities have to find ways to make up costs. And so the only other way to make up that cost is to increase private uh, insurance costs. Right, the great old uh, thing called cost shifting. And I thought the ACA was supposed to solve that. Well, um, that's what we all thought, but uh, cost shifting is obviously taking place because the other great dynamic that was supposed to help reduce costs, you know, the millennial generation getting their own insurance plans mm-hmm. uh, hasn't necessarily uh, been true to form, and that's not helped uh, control costs either because not as many people uh, have joined uh in, in some of these exchange programs to help tamp down costs. I think it's because they're uh, looking at the whole picture of some of these plans. I've got a chart pulled up here just looking at the cost sharing um, in the ACA marketplace plans in the 37 states that did healthcare.gov, and we're finding that anybody that uh, the average out-of-pocket limit for single coverage is around $5,826, and um, that's just a lot of money for, for people that um, might not have extra to go around. Right. And and, and you look at uh, the states that have had state exchanges, for example, Hawaii, Oregon, Maryland, where they've had either IT fails or just outright failure of their uh, exchange, and they've had to transfer all those costs back to the federal government, and all those uh, folks are now back on the federal exchange instead of the state exchange. So I would wonder, and and I think maybe that's about that. That's one thing that Mr. Heinemann did get right in uh, staying out of the uh, state exchange and forcing everyone onto the federal exchange. Because as we see, state exchanges have been failing all across the United States. Yeah, another one bit the dust this week. I think it was Hawaii. Hawaii. Hawaii went down. Is Aloha the same for goodbye? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but but that happened. Uh, we're going to take a time out here on America's Healthcare Challenge. More with Alan Hager. We're going to talk a little uh, presidential politics. Uh, he's a fellow political junkie. We'll talk about uh, the issue of healthcare in the presidential campaign, as well as much more. And also coming up at the bottom of the hour, uh, we're going to be uh, sharing some information with you about a really neat walk uh, to benefit the Monroe Meyer Institute. So you're listening to America's Healthcare Challenge. Check out our Facebook page, which has the show from last week, and we'll have this one, facebook.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge, and we'll be right back. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge on the Mighty 1290 Coil, the Mighty1290Coil.com, and the Mighty 1290 Coil mobile app. Once again, here's Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Uh, joined on the program by Alan Hager. We're going to talk a little uh, healthcare IT this segment. Uh, one of the movies I've been wanting to see is that movie called Ex uh, Machina or whatever, which is about the. Have you seen that uh, preview? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Okay, Cam, have you? Yeah, I've seen the preview. It looks pretty damn good. I know. Like, and I always wonder, like, if the machines are taking over. And uh, this was interesting because basically he gives the robot uh, artificial intelligence and then uh, sexuality. And, you know, that's kind of a dangerous combination, beauty and brains, <laughs> if you will. Uh, but I always say that um, it's it's kind of int- – that thing is uh, just kind of a harbinger of what could potentially come with IT. Um, uh, right now we've got uh, people uh, remote monitoring 
Uh, I sent you over this story from the Washington Post about the revolution will be digitized. And they're talking about the flood of wearable devices. Uh, did you get a chance to see that? Oh yeah, I, I've been uh, in the pro- I've been reading on it. Yes, and I'm one of those uh, gadgeteers myself. Which ones do you think are going to be the most uh, formidable? Well, I think uh, Fitbit, obviously, and I think Samsung and Apple are all getting into the market. Uh, Apple, most notably, with the Apple Watch. Samsung has a watch out. Uh, I think those types of things. Uh, are going to be more and more uh, uh, wearable as well as uh, more uh, user-friendly. I use my iPhone, and I have a lot of different health apps Mm -hmm. uh, that Mm -hmm. I use on my uh, smartphone. I use uh, a sleep monitor to measure my sleep and and how well I slept at night, Uh, measures how many hours of sleep I get. I use there's a, uh, a heart rate monitor uh, to measure blood pr- uh, uh, your uh, BPM. Uh, I use uh, uh, my Fitness Pal, uh, which allows me to keep track of my calories and uh, different things that I uh, do during during the day. Uh, I use a Fitbit for my uh, steps hmm. through the day. So uh, I, I use a very wide array of uh, technology myself do you um do you find that it changes your behavior oh absolutely i believe that uh the sleep rate monitor that i've been using uh has helped uh show where i get good sleep how i get or when when you know throughout the night when when am i in uh, deep REM sleep versus when uh i'm awake through the night um and it's allowed me to change some of my habits uh when i sleep and thus, I'm getting better sleep, which allows me to be more pro, uh, proactive and more productive through the day. Right, right, right. We're talking about Alan Hager, America's Healthcare Challenge contributor. Uh, that's the name of the show, America's Healthcare Challenge. If this is the first time uh, you're getting the chance to hear us, we appreciate it. 402-342-1290 at any time. Let's help them understand, um, especially those on Medicare, why they might be seeing technology, uh, say they, uh, should they leave the hospital for a certain reason? Well, in, in a lot of different cases, technology, whether it's uh, when you're in the hospital, EHR, EMR, uh, you know, an EMR is just a compilation of your entire health record, so electronic health record. Um, uh, for example, you know, we've got a new, hosp- a new health care system coming into Omaha called Think Health. Uh, and uh, their focus may primarily on population health management, uh, which has been something that we have talked about before on this show, um, and encompassing all of health care. You know, they'll have dentists there. They'll have optometrists and, and uh, multiple uh, different specialty-type doctors there. So a lot of people are starting to encompass and embrace whole health health care, um, and so, uh, and a lot of that is driven by technology. And so, whether you're not you're on Medicare or Medicaid, uh, you might have an opportunity to partake in some of that, as well as some concierge medicine practices that also uh, accept Medicare as a form of payment to have access to concierge medicine. You are there some out there that do that? Oh yeah, uh, there are several uh, practices here in town that will accept. Uh, private insurance, as well as HSA dollars uh, for uh, access to 
your uh, VIP doctor, so to speak. You know, your doctor in the concierge medicine situation is on call 24-7 for you, and they give access to all kinds of different things, just not your electronic record, but, you know, recipes and health uh, information that you wouldn't be able to access otherwise specifically from your doctor. Sounds kind of like that USA Network show, uh, Royal Pains. I don't know if you ever saw that show with Hank Med. Yep. Yep, but they uh, they might have been on to something. I, you know, if I could figure out a way to spend the summer in the Hamptons and uh, get paid to take care of VIPs, I'd probably try and do the same thing. Um, let's talk about how uh, technology um, is going to uh, also go in. You know, we've talked about um, this data explosion in healthcare and how it's kind of cool to be in Silicon Valley and going through all this data. Um, but we've kind of, they've broken it down into um, three different categories. One is obviously your electronic medical record that you might get. And then this other uh, realm of data is uh, genetic testing and uh, being able to do genetic testing to, uh, you know, find if you might be predisposed to cancer, for example. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, um, those types of things are, you know, we've had genetic testing in different realms, uh, in different aspects before for multiple things. But, you know, whether it's big data or it's Silicon Valley or your healthcare providers uh, accessing that data and doing things like genetic testing or using uh, that data to determine whether or not you're, you, you have a risk of something. You know, I always like to say that you know, if I had a chance to get, or if my wife had a chance to get a 3D mammogram versus a standard mammogram, I would definitely prefer the 3D mammogram because it's going to give me information that a standard mammogram isn't going to see, and whether or not she may be may have early onset breast cancer versus a standard mammogram where it can't see that it, it, it can't see that level of detail. I see. Yeah, I see. You're talking with Alan Hager. Uh, America's Healthcare Challenge contributor on uh, IT and healthcare. Um, Alan, uh, so we've got those three three things. We've got the electronic medical record, and we've got this genetic testing. And then third, you you, you talked a little bit about was how, how to capitalize on all these wearable devices. Right. So yep. I, I don't know how that's going to play out, but that seems to be kind of where, where a lot of the focus is going to be in the future. Oh, absolutely. I, totally. Um, just... You know, whether it's smart garments, smart wristbands, sport watches, uh, chest straps, other types of monitors, you know, there's a whole, the whole whole industry cranking up about wearable electronic fitness devices and trying to make uh, things, uh, uh, you know, trying to help us live longer, trying to help us live healthier lives. Uh, but at the same time, maybe uh, a little lot, you, know, may, you might lose some liberties out of it. I, who knows? I mean... You know, we've seen uh, health insurance providers get hacked already this year and previously. And so how much information do you want to put out there for, you know, uh, the population or the world to see is up to each individual. And so I would say, you know, each individual has their own uh, opinion on this. Me, hey, I want to be able to take care of myself the best way I can besides eating healthy. And I think a lot of these technology, uh, technological devices will allow me to do that. Yeah, I guess it, you know, privacy is kind of based upon what people want, but looking at what everybody puts out on Facebook, including like what they had for lunch today, which I really don't care about, um, I don't know that that's going to be a problem for, for younger people. I don't think they care about their privacy. 
No, I don't. And I think that at some point you you might see uh, implantable chips. Wow, that's very big, brother. Let's take uh, let's take the last few moments uh, together to talk some presidential politics. I know it seems early, but everybody else seems to be talking about it. So we might as well uh, take take a look at it. You know, the ACA and repeal and all that. I don't know that repeal is going to go away, but I think this is going to be a central uh, presidential. Um, issue uh, coming up in 2016. It wasn't really much of one in the in the the last election in 2012. It was almost in the witness protection program. And I think if Romney would have hammered on it more, he might have done, you know, better. Um, what do, what do you think about uh, the field and healthcare? Well, I, I tell you, I, I find both sides uh, pretty interesting in a wide array of, of differing views. Uh, you know. Uh, Lincoln Chafee, who is the former governor of Rhode Island on the Democrat side, supports universal coverage. And Martin O'Malley, who supported Obamacare, and they did a state exchange. Well, just a little side note to uh, the state of Maryland. Their technology and their website failed miserably, just like uh, healthcare.gov. And so they ended up having to move to a different type of website, much like uh, Access Connecticut uh, in uh, last year. Um so while he may have been supported, they sure failed miserably in their implementation of it. Uh, Bernie Sanders from Vermont, who's the current uh, U.S. senator, he supports universal coverage because Vermont is the only state in the union currently who has universal coverage for all their uh, citizens. Uh, so, And we have Hillary, who we know had Hillary care back uh, in the Clinton administration. And so... It's a wide array on the Democratic side of different opinions on things. On the Republican side, you just have as many wide array of views, you know, from John Kasich says repeal and replace, and uh, Huckabee opposes Obamacare. He advocated for free market solutions in in the past. Uh, Ron Paul, or excuse me, Rand Paul, uh, says that government should not be responsible for health care. It's responsible for driving up the cost of care and opposes Obamacare. We know Ted Cruz wants it to go away. And Scott Walker has supported market-driven solutions in the past, and he rejected Medicaid expansion, and he also signed tort reform in 2011. Lots of uh, array of views. I, I hope they can have an um, interesting discussion. You brought up John Kasich, like to identify identify him but i think this guy's got some things to bring to the conversation but he's a republican that expanded medicaid for his state right and that's probably get hammered for that he might get hammered for it but at the same time he opposed obamacare he originally opposed medicaid expansion and then when he saw what could happen to his state he decided to sign on to it and while he may get exposed on the uh medicaid expansion he was the budget chairman who gave us surpluses in the 90s. Right. He understands the federal budget. He's led our government to cut government and give us surpluses. He knows what it takes. When he ran in 2000, I jumped on his bandwagon. If he runs again, I hope, I hope he does. I hope he gets in because I think he has a lot to offer uh, on all, all issues, especially health care. Right, right. All right, Alan, any final thoughts for the audience this week? Well, I, I would say uh, be protective of yourself uh, from a liberty perspective. Uh, if you do uh, decide to use wearable devices, pay attention to what's going on uh, 
in the healthcare marketplace because it changes not just weekly but daily. And last but not least, take care of yourself this weekend. And for all those men and women who uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice, we thank you for your service uh, of our country. And we most importantly want to send our condolences to the Orozco family uh, for the horrible tragedy this past week here in Omaha. Uh, without a doubt. That was Alan Hager uh, here on America's Healthcare Challenge. Thanks for joining us. So we'll see you next time. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Check out our Facebook page for those two segments uh, with our friend Alan Hager on Healthcare IT. And we're joined uh, this segment uh, by um, uh, Luann Rabe, right? Rabe, excuse me. That's from, okay. Uh, she's the uh, president of the Monroe Meyer Institute Guild. And they, they have a wonderful event coming up here on June, June 14th. We wanted to get her into the studio to uh, help the audience uh, know a little bit about their organization. But also this walk looks like 9 to 5, June 14th. And it will feature unique creative ideas and landscaping planning and patio treatments. And the proceeds of this fundraiser are going to go to benefit children and adults with disabilities uh, through the various programs at the Institute. And that's something that's uh, very near and dear to our heart here at the program. And then also the organization that I work with, Edie Bellis, who does some work with uh, organizations that serve people with uh, uh, disabilities. So uh, thanks so much for coming down to the program. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your role, Madam President? Thank you for having us. We are thrilled to be um, having our 47th Garden Walk. I am the president of the Guild. The reason is I have a handicapped child that is being served is still being served by um, the Monroe Meyer Institute. I see the Monroe Meyer Institute as kind of a hidden gem in Omaha. A lot of people if you're not in the handicapped families, um, you don't really know about it. So this is what, um, this is how I got into it, and this is our only main fundraiser. 100% of ticket sales goes directly to the Institute. Wow, that's that's great news. So um, let's talk a little bit more about this fundraiser. How long have they been doing it, and um, you know what, what are some of the things people get to see when they join? Oh, it is the premier garden walk in Omaha. We will have Probably around 1,500 people go through June 14th from 9 to 5. Rain or shine, we will have it. And we have five private gardens. Um, The people have done it all themselves. Uh, There's older gardens that they've been working on. There's other ones that they took a, a, um, a blank slate and worked with. One of the ladies is a master gardener, but they're None of them are professional gardeners, so they're all hand-done, heartfelt gardens. Garden? Yes. For 47 years, we come up with four or five gardens, different gardens every year that people can see. Do you garden yourself? Personally? Oh, yes. Not as well as they do. 
So what's the process go go for picking out the uh, the people that you're going to feature? We have on the walk as people go through on their ticket there's a place that they can nominate gardens and we keep that list going year after year. So as soon as the walk is done, um, a group of us will contact some of these people and go through and you know there are certain logistical things that have to happen traffic flow things like that and then we go through and find the gardens that sometimes we try to keep them in an area Um, last year it was in midtown we had them all in midtown this time they're a little bit further west 120th and blondo to 176th and q and so we just you know we look for spectacular gardens so that people can get ideas. At each garden, we will have a master gardener there. So if people have questions about um, what this plant is or how to do this, they can talk to a master gardener for free. There's always one at the house. And they can just get lots of ideas of what they can go home and maybe do one small area that they can pick up. That's how I've gotten a lot of um, my ideas. Another feature that we have is we have vendors at one of the houses, and they have objects to sell that can enhance your garden, like cement bird bird baths, um, creative things that Mm -hmm. you can, um, copper things that you can put in your gardens just to add that sparkle, that little extra uh, whimsical taste to it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. We're talking with Luann Raby, the president of the Monroe Meyer Institute Guild. So, uh, what what does that role exactly entail? Uh, you have to you're kind of a representative uh, in the community for all of the things that they do. Is it a year round term? Or? It is a year round term. We don't. Um, we're always looking for guild members. We're looking for people who have an interest in gardening. They may know of gardens that we can go look at, or just people that want to volunteer. It's a great place to volunteer because it doesn't take a whole lot of time. We don't. We have an organizational meeting in September just to get to know people, bring new people in. And sometimes we have a fun meeting before January, but then we have a monthly meeting January to June because that's what we're ramping up for. We try and get everybody involved. Everybody has a little bit of a job, so everybody does a whole lot. Nobody has to do a uh, – everybody does a little bit. Nobody has to do a whole lot. So it's just organizing the volunteers. That's what I do. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's an, that's important. Let's see. Where can folks get uh, – Let's see. Um, looks like their tickets are available. They're only fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars. And uh, again, all, all the proceeds. What do the proceeds go to? One hundred percent goes to grants that the people, the doctors, and the therapists at MMI each year they come up with grants that they would that have been unfulfilled. Many times, the National Institute of Health, you have to have some. Um, you have to have started a project and right. give them some results before they fund you. That's what we do. We give them money to try these ideas out and get some statistics so they can go to. We also um, provide, like this last year, we provided a box truck for our wheel club. Handicapped kids, a lot of them can't ride regular bikes, so we have adaptive bikes, but we need to take these bikes someplace. And so they needed the other truck was two, had over 250,000 miles. And so this is a new used truck. But we were able to supply it so they can haul all the bikes to where these kids can ride. Oh, wow, that's really cool. We're talking with the president of the Monroe Meyer uh, Guild, uh, Luann Raby. 
Let's see. Look at some of these awards that they got in 2015. Uh, so that was the Wheel Club uh, cycling program that you yes. just talked about. Mm-hmm. We also have uh, this community providers coaching parents KIPS. So mm-hmm. what's that? That is for families that their children are at Monroe Meyer getting services. They're more high risk. You know, we have a lot of autism, you know, all those things. So the, the staff has worked with the children, but they wanted to be able to put a a guide together to give to the family so when they go home these same therapies and same rules can be enforced and that's the important part you know they're not at the at the institute 24 7 they're at home and so we provided the money for them to put this together that's really neat that's really neat Uh, so that was kips but we also have uh tips tracking Mm -hmm. infants progress statewide uh, another thing, uh, what was that? That uh, that happened last year yes, as a result of a fundraiser previously? From 2014, that money we got from the Garden Walk Went funded these. Yes, and this is for any child, any newborn that was in the intensive care for 48 hours or more. They um, Monroe Meyer likes to follow them, and this is to set up a website that they can send the parents to to help them follow these children, especially in outstate Nebraska. The pediatricians... You know, they don't know what to really look for They're, um, with a child that's been premature or maybe has some um, feeding problems, things like this. And Monroe Meyer can pick it up faster if they can be in touch with these families via this website. Interesting. That's important. Very important. Very and, important. Uh, uh, let's see. I don't know if I can uh, read this next <laughs> word, but nasal laryngeal. What do you got? Nasal laryngeal scope. Okay. This is for, and this is what would have helped my son, um, there are swallowing tests, okay? But when these, if you've ever had a swallowing test, it's chalky, thick stuff. Right. I told. Not fun. You, right. I told the radiologist, you're going to get one chance with my son. He's going to take one drink and he won't take another one because it doesn't taste good. Instead of having them take that, they're able to just put a very small scope tube through the nose and they can go down and see the swallowing defects and things like that. And it was to provide the equipment and then to train two of the technicians to do that. And one of them is trained enough now that she can t- train other ones. So it's a self-sustaining program there. But it's going to help the kids so much and the parents. Right. I mean, we've talked last segment about the importance of uh, technology and all healthcare, mm-hmm. And so that's just yet one more example. And then finally, from last year, um, we have end, end trainer therapy. Uh, that was another one. This is so cool. The kids that are born prematurely, many times um, they don't have the the energy. They don't have the they don't have the opportunity to suck, and you have to learn how to suck before you can chew. And we have a great feeding program um, at MMI. MMI, but this one is it's a pressurized nipple that they can put in and kind of make the child learn how to suck. Again, feeding is social, social, and so they're taking them very young and trying to get that sucking um, going so that it can progress into eating Mm -hmm. instead of going to the G-tubes and things like that. So it looks like they can uh, get tickets uh, for this event at the the Any High V. Yes. uh, The Blue Pomegranate Gallery, the Kenoyer... Garden Center, Indian Mm -hmm. Creek Nursery, Moore's Nursery, Mulhall's Nursery, the Potting Shed, Sunrise Lawn and Garden, and Westlake Hardware. 
Yes. At 144th and Center. And so, again, tickets are $15 at those locations, 20 on the day of the event. Looks like they're going to be uh, looking West Omaha. It looks like the five houses, but I'm reading about them right now. It looks like it's going to be uh, pretty awesome. Any more places uh, folks could get uh, information about this? They can go to our website. Um, go to unmc.edu slash MMI, and then I would put up in the search guild, and that will bring up the information. Okay. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to come down here. Um, any final thoughts uh, uh, for the audience? If you want to be part of this, it's we have a great group of people, and you can join. You can contact me at Luann, L-U-A-N-N, Raby, R-A-B as in boy, E, at gmail.com. All right, great. Luann, thank you so much for coming down here uh, to the program, sharing uh, this wonderful event, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you. All right, thanks. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Thanks for sharing uh, some of your holiday weekend with us. Uh, We appreciate it. Don't forget to check out uh, our new website, healthreformexplained.com. Thanks to our friends Dale at Commerce Collective who uh, went ahead and uh, helped us get that updated, and it sure looks sharp. You can find our latest blog posts as well as a link to all of our segments from this program on our SoundCloud page, which I believe is like 319 319 different segments. So um, if you want to check that out, that would be uh, to your benefit. I know a lot of people have uh, said they enjoy listening to it on, oh, you know, like the the treadmill or going for a run or maybe they're gardening like our previous guest, uh, Luann Rabe, who said she's going to listen to it on her smartphone app. Thanks again to her uh, for for joining us. Make sure, again, to check out the, the Monroe Meyer Institute. It is a fantastic organization. And, again, uh, the cause to raise money for um, – individuals with uh, disabilities, a good cause for uh, children and adults with developmental disabilities. And uh, you can uh, get outside and enjoy the sunshine and check out some um, gardens, so check that out. And uh, always, again, thanks to uh, Alan Hager for joining us. I'm going to take a moment to talk a little bit about some things that are in uh, my wheelhouse this week, and that is the issue of compliance. I know that's probably not the sexiest term for people to want to talk about, but it's something that's going to be coming to the forefront very, very soon, especially for businesses uh, over 50 employees, and there's a lot of them out there, and I know some of them have been burying their head in their sand. Maybe they're uh, trying to uh, work with some of their professional advisors to get through uh, some of the things. Some people have responded by cutting hours uh, to under 30 if they're on the borderline and they're starting to see that well, maybe that might not have been the best case because it causes uh, some blowback from their employees. Uh, but this is something that businesses need to be taken very, very, very seriously. 
because the government is taking this seriously. And I'm reading from the IRS website right now, and they put on their forms. They have a couple PDF forms about these reporting requirements. Everybody's concerned about this uh, pay-or-play situation, meaning businesses over 50. Originally in the law, they gave some transitional relief for the last year, but then it's going to go back to 50, uh, 50 or 100 above, basically. We'll just say that to uh, satisfy everybody. Are going to have to start offering insurance if they have more than uh, that many people that are over 30 hours a week on average. Now, there's this really complicated mechanism for um, measuring it, measuring it, and a lot of people, uh, including myself, spent a lot of time trying to figure it out, and uh, that's going to be difficult. But the reason you have to measure all of this is because you're going to have to report this stuff to the government. Uh, According to the IRS website, the general rule is, well, whoever provides the minimum essential coverage, that is health insurance, is responsible for reporting. Now, if you're a business over 50 and you don't require, you're still going to have to report that you didn't require or didn't offer, and then you're probably going to be uh, hammered with a fine. And so this is going to be um, something that many people are trying to uh, gather uh, this as, as they can, best as they can. Uh, I advise people to start looking back six months to start to at least just give yourself an idea where you are if you haven't started this. Because uh, this is just going to take a ridiculous amount of man hours. We uh, actually read on the the website, and then we did our math, but we're we're finding that it's going to take almost uh, 15 minutes per form uh, just to fill out the form itself. Now, that doesn't count the homework that it takes to uh, find certain things. And here's what you're going to actually need for this 1095 form. I'm reading this to you right from the IRS website. If you're a business owner or an executive... You're going to have to, or an HR person, uh, you're going to have to report who each full-time employee is for each month. You're going to have to identify information as the employer employee, such as the name and addresses, which you should have. Uh, The key is having a system that is organized. You're going to need to provide information about health coverage offered by month, if at all. Like I said, you're also going to have to provide information as far as the employee's share of the monthly premium cost. Again, that's another variable. It can't cost more than 9.5% of their income if it's offered. You're also going to have to show months the employer met this affordability safe harbor uh, with respect to an employee uh, or any other employees during that month. And uh, you're also think that you might be able to get around this if you self-insure. You're still going to have to report this information um, on the form. That's 1095C. The other form is 1090 oh, that was is uh oh wait this is just still the list excuse me folks bear with me um in addition to those six things i already listed you're also going to uh have to provide them information about your organization you're going to have to provide whether or not you offered coverage to 70% of your full-time employees and their dependents in this year this year 2015 next year you're going to have to offer to 95% and then uh you're going to have to uh Also, show them how many of these forms you issued to employees, information about members of uh, other organizations. Maybe uh, there's more than one company. Um, They're going to look at that group as an aggregated group and then find individually. And you're going to also finally have to provide uh, full-time employee counts by month, total employee counts by month, and whether or not you're eligible for some of the transitional relief coming down 
from uh, last year's uh, sort of delay, I like to call it. I call this thing um, a wave. Uh, you might have remembered our, our contributor and co-host, uh, John Rathouse, John the Cat. He always uh, made, made it uh, out to be a, a wave of uh, compliance or, or in some ways how the ACA, uh, because of its implementation and how cyclical it is going up and down, is just kind of like a wave forming in the ocean. And in many ways, the past couple of years, it hadn't even formed yet, but now it's starting to. I don't know if you like to surf. I like to surf uh, – like sort of i'm not very good at it but i like to get out there and one of the things i like to do is just kind of get in the ocean and sit there and you kind of float up and down and you see certain waves bigger than others and the wave that's uh really going to come crashing home might be more like a tsunami is this wave of compliance that is happening uh to these businesses that are unprepared i think a lot of them are going to be stuck with uh ridiculous fines this is just the Affordable Care Act, folks. We're not talking about other things like the Department of Labor. One of our colleagues uh, specializes in providing uh, audit services for companies uh, on all Department of Labor issues, and they do a Department of Labor audit. And they audited all of their clients, and on average, every single one of their clients had an average of $500,000 in penalty exposure um, just from the Department of Labor. These are types of numbers that uh, could literally put businesses down for the count um, if they're not prepared. So my advice uh, to you is get a system in place for um, measuring all these things. And when I come back next segment, um, if you're lazy and you want to work with a great organization like Edie Bellis, I will tell you uh, physically how you can uh, automate this process. So you're listening to America's Healthcare Challenge. We'll be back uh, right after this. listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. I know I'm not like a very intimidating person. Um, They always say nice guys finish last, but I did my best jo- job to try and scare the hell out of you uh, if you're a business owner uh, with what's coming from the government. I've been trying to do this for the past um, over three years, nearly four years, helping people understand uh, some of the implications that are coming from the Affordable Care Act. I remember, uh, obviously, I worked on uh, the law when I lived out there, but I um, read, remember reading it a second time uh, when I was living in Omaha, knew a little bit more, was a little bit wiser and realizing, oh, man, if uh, somebody doesn't really get things in place, uh, these uh, sections of this law are going to cause a lot of problems. And you know what? I, it turned out to be right. And at the time, I was the first person ever to start a business all about the Affordable Care Act. People used to look at me like I was super weird. 
oh, uh, oh, that Obamacare, oh, oh, isn't that thing going to get uh, thrown out by the Supreme Court? Oh, that Obamacare, isn't that going to get um, got, gotten rid of uh, when Obama loses re-election? Well, none of those things happened, and so here we are, 2015, halfway through the implementation of arguably the largest piece of uh, social policy ever passed in uh, American history, or at least since the Medicare uh, legislation, uh, a country in debt, and I'm trying to to help people uh, solve the problem. I think what is going to happen is everybody's going to um, wait until the last minute and then freak out. And, you know, that's human nature. And um, I, I actually understand that. I don't recommend doing that. But if you do recommend that, and obviously last minute is like now, actually it's like yesterday or, or months before, but if you're just now like starting to get around to uh, planning for this as a business or maybe you're a broker or a CPA out there listening, uh, might have some clients that um, don't really know what to do or you don't really want to deal with them, Edie Bellis, uh, a company that I founded over three years ago, has got you covered because we have um, an, a very, very awesome, awesome tool that uh, is a, a valuable piece of uh, technology that benefits both the employer because it automates all of their compliance for Obamacare. We're able to implement, uh, integrate with their payroll company and track all of their hours. I mentioned how hard it's going to be tracking hours, especially if you're a part-time uh, or a company that employs a lot of part-time workers like a restaurant. Uh, onboarding already is probably nuts because people quit within three months. Well, embracing technology is one way to solve uh, that problem as far as eliminating risks and pe from penalties from not complying because it automates the process for you. We actually do it for you. All you have to do is give us the information that we need, and, and we're able to do that for a very, a very affordable price. I think it's like an $0.08 cent per hour increase in your wages, and we're able to uh, essentially save you up to millions of dollars in fines by investing in, our, in uh, the Edie Bellis technology platform. This thing is uh, top of the line. It is uh, powered by one of the best uh, technology companies in uh, in the world. They handle several uh, state exchanges. And uh, we have built out a complete customer service department, technical support, HR experts, compliance experts. All of those things are included for one low monthly price per employee per month. And I can tell you, when the government's looking to fine you $166 per employee per month, we can do that for a lot less, less than like one-tenth of one percent, uh, or ten percent at least, but more like five, maybe even less. So check out healthreformexplained.com. You'll see uh, my latest blog post on the compliance wave, and you'll also see some sliders, obviously promoting this show, America's Healthcare Challenge. Thank you for listening. But also take a time to click the link and set up a demonstration for Emma and uh, the Edie Bellis Managed Marketplace. There's a tab right on Health Reform Explained you can click on to check that out. Until next time, I'm Sean McGuire. Thanks again for listening to America's Healthcare Challenge. We'll see you next time.